You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Reading today is from 1 Corinthians 12, 13-31. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of me. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is. There are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And every one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm holding in my hand an incredibly powerful device. It's called a remote control. And from the comfort of my own couch, I can control the TV and make it do whatever I want it to do. Now, the power of this control has never been more evident than in the recent Olympic coverage. Not only was there the two main Olympic channels that I could flick between, but you could actually choose individual sports that you wanted to watch and just click on it. Athletics, click. Artistic swimming, click. 
rock climbing. Click. Horse ballet. Click. It was incredibly powerful, so much control, and all from my own couch. You know, we've come a long way from the world of my childhood. When I was watching the Olympics growing up, there was one channel and you just had to watch whatever the producers of the Olympics decided that you would watch. And not only that, but if you wanted to change channel away from the Olympics, get this, you actually had to get up off your backside and turn the TV dial on the television. Incredible. Fortunately, we've now reached a utopia where you can do it all with this device. But of course, the key question is, who controls the remote control? Right, in a family of five like mine, everyone, everyone wants the sort of power that comes from holding the remote. So how do you control the fights within the family over the remote control? Well, we're doing a series at the moment called Our Deepest Desires, and we're looking at various desires that we have, desires for power, for approval, for comfort, and today, the desire for control. Now, none of these desires are bad in and of themselves, but they can become problematic if they get out of proportion or if they become an unhelpful focus for us. And the desire for control is exactly like that. So let's think about the good, the bad, and the ugly of our desire for control. So there's a good aspect to our desire for control. Um, having control over your environment has been shown to be part of good psychological health. Right? When we feel like life is in control, we feel confident about life. But when we feel like things are out of control and they're chaotic, then it undermines our sense of well-being. That's been one of the challenges, hasn't it, during this time of COVID and lockdown. Lots of things that we used to be able to control and able to do, we can't do. We've lost control and that actually impacts us in terms of our psychological well-being. Uh, positively, again, the Bible considers self-control to be a fruit of the Spirit. You know, if I control my anger, that is a good thing, rather than just flying off the handle when someone provokes me. Uh, good parents put appropriate controls and boundaries in place for their children. You know, restraining them in car seats. Um, holding their hand so they can't run onto a road. That is a good and appropriate control by good parents. Similarly, good governments actually put controls and boundaries in place for their citizens. We have speed limits on our roads, controlling things so that it is safe to drive. And in the time of a global pandemic, good governments do have to put some controls in place to stop the spread of disease. Now, you might debate some of the particular details of what level of control needs to be there, but surely none of us can deny the fact that we need to control movement in some way to control the spread of the disease. 
But of course, the desire for control can be bad as well. Do you know any control freaks? Uh, people who have to have things done a certain way and don't like delegating things to other people because they won't do it right. People who micromanage their employees. Uh, bridezillas who have to control every aspect of the wedding preparation so it's just right. You know, if you want a job done properly, you've got to do it yourself. And they end up working themselves harder and harder because they've got to retain control and do it all themselves. You can probably think of instances where you've seen that control in other people and it's been unhelpful and frustrating. Or maybe, if you're honest, you can recognise areas in your own life where you try and exercise an unhelpful amount of control. I know for myself, particularly when I'm more tired, I slip into this desire to control things. So I come home from work, I'm exhausted and there's chaos in the house and my first desire is to restore order. Who's left those clothes on the floor? Pick them up. Why are there dirty dishes on the table? Whose muddy paw prints are those on the floor? Okay, so the answer to that last one's obvious, but you get the point. So the desire for control can be good, but it can also be bad, but it can also turn ugly. One of the features of abusive behavior is that it controls the other person. So in a relationship, one person, usually the man, let's be honest, statistically, that's the case, controls what the other person does. Controlling the finances, so they are the only ones who determine how money is spent. Controlling relationships and stopping connection with family and friends for the other person. Even controlling the other person's body using physical and psychological forms of intimidation. Now, if, as I'm speaking about these things, there's some alarm bells going off for you because of a relationship that you're currently in, and you're thinking, yeah, some of those controlling things are happening in my relationship. Please hear me say that is absolutely not okay and not acceptable. And if you need help, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask for it from us. So if the desire for control can be good and bad and ugly, how does this come about? Well, as we read through the story of the Bible, we see where the heart of the problem for this desire for control comes from. So on the first page of the Bible in, in Genesis chapter 1, we see God exercising good control as he creates the world. He designed things, he shapes things, he turns chaos into order, he puts boundaries in place separating the water from the land. And he creates humankind and he puts us in a powerful position within his creation where he wants us to exercise control under his good uh, leadership. So we are to cultivate we are to create, we are to tame and order things within the creation. 
And God gives humans free will to do the tasks. He doesn't create us as robots who are just controlled by him, but we can exercise choices about how we exercise control. God has put rules and boundaries in place, but he's given us a great degree of freedom as to what we do. And this is where in the Bible we see the first sign of the negative side of the desire for control. You see, from this good beginning, humans decide that they want more control than God has given them. Humans try and wrestle control away from God and control things themselves, making themselves God and determining for themselves what is right and what is wrong. So we see that in the story of the Garden of Eden, where God gives all of this wonderful fruit within the garden for humans to eat. But there is a boundary not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But human beings decide they want more control than God is offering them. And so they decide to eat from the tree. In that moment, what they've done is they've doubted the goodness of God and they've failed to trust God. And therein lies the heart of the problem of the desire for control. Failing to trust God, failing to see the goodness of what God has given us and trying to control things for ourselves rather than trust God is the heart of the problem and where these other problems stem from. We try and take more control than is right and is healthy for us. And it leads to a brokenness within the world where we fail to exercise appropriate self-control, where we try and control other people and manipulate them to get our own way, and where abuse and controlling behaviour kicks in in relationships. You see, we have this illusion of control. We think that we can control everything, but we can't because we're not God. He's the one who is ultimately in control. He's the one who ultimately determines right from wrong and sets appropriate boundaries. And he is the one that we need to trust and be dependent upon, giving him the control and working under him. And that's Jesus' point in our Bible passage from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus here speaks about not worrying about food and drink and clothes. Now, he's talking here about life essentials, right? These are not extravagant things that he's speaking about. They're things that we need for our daily survival. And it would have been so much more true in Jesus' time where people lived far more hand-to-mouth than we do now. Although in the last 18 months, we've had the unusual experience of not being able to always get food and drink and toilet paper when we wanted them. I mean, normally we have so much control that you just go to the supermarket and you grab what you want. And all of a sudden we had this situation when there was no flour and rice and pasta. We couldn't get it. We couldn't exercise the control we needed. Studies actually show that the sort of people who are more likely to panic buy and grab more than they need are people who are used to exercising high levels of control. There's a sense in which that desire for control actually leads to worry and needing to take more than you have. Now, of course, Jesus knows that we need food and we need drink and we need clothing. But the danger here that he's warning us against 
is worrying too much about it, focusing too much, getting frantic about it, and giving these things the priority that they don't deserve. And ultimately, Jesus says that it stems from a lack of trust. Have a look at what it says in verse 30. He says, you of little faith. Right? Faith is about trusting God. It's about trusting that God will provide our needs, trusting that God is in control and that he loves us. Right? You can only give up control, can't you, to someone that you trust. It needs to be someone that you know is competent, they know what they're doing, but also someone who cares, who is good and who loves you. And so the key to relinquishing control to God is being confident in the character of God, that God is, is competent, strong, but that God is also good and loving. And Jesus addresses both of these things about God in this passage. He speaks of God a number of times as our heavenly father. He's heavenly, seated in heaven, over everything and all powerful, but he's also a father. He's a good parent who knows the needs of his children and is willing to provide them in a caring manner. The power of God, the first of those aspects, is outlined in verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? The point he's making here is that God himself is the author of life, and he is the one who has created our bodies. So if God is powerful enough to create and sustain life itself and form our very bodies, how much more should we be willing to trust him to provide the nourishment that our bodies need and the clothing to cover our body and the things to sustain our life? So God is powerful. He's competent. He can do the job. But we need to know more than that, don't we? We need to know more than that God is powerful. We also need to know that God is good. Right? If we give control of our lives to someone who is powerful but is not good, well, the danger is we'll be subject to abuse. Is that, is what, is that, is that what God is like? Well, no. Jesus says, just have a look around at the world. Have a look at the way that God cares for the birds and the flowers. Right? This is an object lesson in the loving care of God. He's so careful with these parts of his creation. How much more will he show loving care for you whom he formed and made? What's more, we're told in verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need them. Right? God actually knows what our needs are. Like a good parent who is aware of the different personalities and needs of their different children, so God knows your differing circumstances. He knows what you need and he will provide for you. And so the conclusion of Jesus in verse 33 is, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well.
It's a message about priorities. Make God number one. Seek after his kingdom, his good rule over you and over the world. Be obedient to what God wants for your life. Don't try and wrestle control away from God. Don't worry so much that you've got to grab and grasp control and not trust God with it. Relax. Allow God to exercise control, knowing that he will do a good job of it and he will show love to you as he does it. Now, a number of you would have watched Nicola McDermott uh, in the high jump in the Olympics win a silver medal. Uh, she jumped so well. Um, and Nicola is a very strong Christian woman. Uh, as she was jumping, you could see the, the joy of the Lord on her face. And she had Jesus' name, you know, uh, texted on her wrist as she jumped. And in an interview that I saw leading up to the Games, this was before the Olympics, she spoke about this very idea from Matthew 6, 33 of seeking first God's kingdom and how much of a release that had been for her. She realised that she'd been so strongly desiring uh, the glory from um, athletics that it had become unhealthy and selfish. And she'd actually lost the joy of jumping that she had once had when she started doing it as a child. And she realised that what she needed to do is refocus her desires back on God, to turn her attention to him, make him the priority in her life. And she spoke about how liberating this was for her, how it relieved her of the fear of failure, and it made her a better high jumper and able to achieve better results. As she sought God and his kingdom, the other things were given to her as well. In her case, success in her field of high jumping. So when we seek and wrestle control away from God, it, it just leads to failure. But when we're willing to trust God, to seek him first, to prioritize his desires for the world and in our lives, life works so much better and joy and freedom flow. So to finish off, here's three practical steps that I think that we can take to help shape our desire for control. Firstly, we need to practice thankfulness. Look at your life and recognize the blessings that you have. Um, we've often promoted the, um, the healthy discipline of Christian thankfulness. But it helps us with our desire for control as well. Because if we recognize the good things that we have and we name God as the one who gives them to us, then it helps us to build our trust in him as a good and loving father, which is an antidote to wanting to grab control because of our mistrust. So I find a good way to end the day is just to pause in thankfulness. Uh, maybe have a journal next to your bed and at the end of each day, write down the blessings you've received and the things that you're thankful for. Where have you seen God being a loving father today and what can you thank him for? 
Secondly, remember God's faithfulness. We can do that by looking at creation, at history, and in our own lives as well. So Jesus' instruction here is, have a look at the birds, have a look at the flowers. You know, get out of the house and have a look at the beauty of creation and the order and the care that God takes in creation. If God reliably does that and is faithful and trustworthy, how much more will he do it for you? If we look at history, we see God's faithfulness most clearly in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, God is so committed to humankind, so committed to you personally, that he took on human flesh and lived amongst us. And Jesus willingly went to the cross. He gave up control over his body and his life in order to restore the relationship with God for us. There is genuine love and commitment there, worthy of our trust and giving control to him. And have a look at your own life as well. You've probably got examples in your own life where you see the evidence of God's faithfulness in the past. Maybe there were times where your life was chaotic and out of control and you worried that actually God didn't have it in his hand. And yet now as you look back, you can see that God did have it in hand. God loved you. He was competent. He was in control. He was faithful and worthy of your trust. And it's those past experiences that we can draw on to guide us in the turmoil of the present. If God has proven faithful before, surely he will do it again. And thirdly, lastly for today, we need to tell God that we trust him. Now, I'm talking about prayer here. I'm speaking about talking with God. But I'm suggesting that we need to be explicit in our prayers by telling God that we trust him. Right? In, in the same way, you know, hopefully my family know that I love them, but I need to actually say it to tell them that I love them. And I think the same thing is helpful with God. To actually say to God, God, I trust you. As I go through my day today, I know that you are strong and that you are good. And I trust you with what the day will bring. And I trust you with my life. I lay it before you. Please help me stop trying to grab control for myself. But because I trust you to give it over to you. Help me to seek you first. To seek your kingdom and your desires for my life. To be open handed and trusting with you God. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a loving and strong Father to us. Please help us to trust you. And we declare together today that we do trust you. We know that you are good. We know that you are strong. Please help us to relax and give control to you. Please help us to stop grabbing control from other people and to exercise right control under you. And we ask for the power of your spirit to be at work in our lives in this, to rightly order the desire that we have for control. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.